Hey, it's Zach, and the Baseball Tonight podcast with the legend Buster Olney is back Monday through Friday. That's a lot of podcasts. Be sure to check out his episode with Dr. Anthony Fauci on the feasibility of having a full baseball season and what he would tell players about being vaccinated. Buster also speaks to World Series winning manager Dave Roberts and his counterpart in the other dugout, Rays manager Kevin Cash. That's the Baseball Tonight podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And now, the low post. Welcome to... The Low Post Podcast, where it's time to talk about the reeling, flailing, in-crisis defending champion Los Angeles Lakers who had a fall from a head loss to the Washington Wizards, their fourth loss in five games, their third consecutive loss, all without Anthony Davis. The Lakers are now 22-10, third in the West, tied with the Suns, who are in fourth (gasps) in the loss column, the Rising Suns. And And unfortunately, they would be heading into... A colossal matchup with the Utah Jazz, a really interesting matchup with the Utah Jazz, but we don't have Anthony Davis or Dennis Schroeder to help us digest what in the world is going on in Lakerdom, the queen of Los Angeles, Ramona Shelburne. How are you? Um, I'm doing good, Zach. You know, it's uh, like I think that you must have been listening to morning sports talk here in L.A. Because you've got the pulse of our city correct. Like I think it's over. It's over. The it, rain yeah, is over. It's it's you should have seen Lakers Twitter last night. People were losing their minds. Like they they got up 15 at one point in the game, and that was like they started to expect the worst. Do you know that feeling? Like, oh, here it comes. They're gonna blow another lead. Really? Lakers yeah, Twitter was like preemptively they, like the they collapse were preemptively, was coming. Yeah, they were bracing for it. And then it happened, and then they were like, Oh no, we didn't actually think they were gonna lose. Oh man. Like, I mean, it was, it was a tough, tough one to watch unfold last night. And then also this morning so far, it's, it's been, it's, it's rough out in these streets. Uh, That's a good way to put it. It's, it's people are, and, and it's so funny to me because I mean, you and I've covered the NBA for a long time and this season we have seen no shortage of teams go through rough patches like this with a combination of injuries and guys missing time due to, health and safety protocols and uh, nobody wants to hear it. They don't want to hear it. It's, it's like the world is ending. Well, look, we got to fill <laughs> yeah. the airwaves, you know, like yeah. if you don't live and die with every three, the, <laughs> uh, I think it was Sam Hinky once said the most boring answer you can give in sports is I don't know, which is, which is, a and, and this, and yeah. the cousin of that is the most, the second most boring answer you can give is like, the three game losing streak actually doesn't matter. Like you can't say that because yeah. you can't make a podcast out of the three game losing streak. Just right. No, the but podcast this, this is over. Actually, we can stop now. It's ended. You're right. There are some three game losing streaks that don't matter, but this one I think matters. I do. Well, like I was, I was watching last night and what happens is, and it's the same in life. Okay. It's the same in basketball and life, et cetera. You, we all have our flaws. We all have our issues. And sometimes you get away with those, right? Like, you know, most of the time you learn how to compensate for your problems. You, you kind of oh, grow through it. And then eventually, like, you lose just a few too many of your safety nets, okay? And so I think the Lakers, all, the, all of these issues have been lurking for a while. But when they lose Dennis Schroeder, when they lose Anthony Davis, right? When you have, uh, you know, a couple of the vets where, like, you know, Wesley Matthews was not great again last night. Marcus All, eh. Right. Uh, they, they, I mean, people were, j- you should have seen James Worthy on the post game. Zach, do you watch, do you watch the Lakers post game? James Worthy. I live, on, I live in, on the East coast, Ramona. <laughs> I don't tune in for the freaking Lakers home game post game oh, show. Man. All right. James Worthy was disgusted. He was upset last night. And 
and I think like the there there was one issue. I mean, look, it's one game, it's one game, but like it's a little hard to explain. Montrez Harrell having a, a great game, energy guy in a game where they clearly need energy, doesn't really play much in the fourth quarter when they blow that lead. And you're kind of out there trying to explain why not. And the answer is, well, they were giving Marcus Saul, he's the closing lineup, you know. I mean, all of these things come and they, they start to bite you. And, and the Lakers have had this stuff lurking all season. But I was always one of those that said, oh, don't worry about it. It's just a regular season. Like the veterans are going to play their way into Like Marcus Saul is going to play his way into shape. He's learning a new system, yada, yada. I still think all of that's going to end up being true. But, you know, without Anthony Davis, without Dennis Schroeder, those two guys – um, have really, you know, those are really big losses, which it, the rest of the NBA is like, yeah, we know everybody's been dealing with this all year, but it hasn't really come around to the Lakers yet. And so now I think it's their turn to deal with injuries and health and safety protocol issues. I love James Worthy. I grew up fearing <laughs> James Worthy. The yeah. James Worthy baseline spin is one of the great iconic moves in the NBA. I'm yeah. not interested in any of James Worthy's disgusted, less unless he's putting on the goggles for the postgame right. show. If he's putting on the goggles, <laughs> no, no goggles. I will watch. Um, <laughs> I'll so send you a clip though. Let's make the case to chill out a little bit. Okay, yeah. let's make okay. let's just make the case to chill out a little. Okay, bit. okay. The Lakers okay. are 22 and 10. It's going <laughs> great. Everything's fine. LeBron is amazing. Yeah. Okay. Too many minutes. Too many minutes. If he doesn't care, I don't care. Okay. Um, uh, Anthony Davis, who's one of the five best players in the NBA, probably is is out. Seems like a big deal. Yeah. Dennis Schroeder, who is, if not the third best player on the team, maybe the third most important player on the team, given that the mm-hmm. Lakers have, unless Alex Caruso is feeling really frisky, they don't have he anyone was, else right now who can create off the dribble, right? Like, so yeah. the offense, there are a lot of possessions where like LeBron passes the ball and it swings around and nobody does anything with it. Yeah. And then it gets back to LeBron. He's like, oh, I got to do something with it. Yeah. Um, Schroeder's out. Now, Kuzma's probably been their third best player this year. I, I, I yeah. have just, I can't say enough good things about how well yeah. Kyle Kuzma is playing Me too. on both ends of the floor. So, like, yeah, the Lakers have lost three in a row. Uh, who cares? Like, th- th- everything's fine. In the, in the big picture, that's one way to frame the discussion. And, and I do think, like, when they have LeBron and Anthony Davis on the floor, they are plus 15 per 100 possessions. They're slaughtering people. Yeah. So that may, that's the only number I care about, really. Yeah. When you're asking me about the Lakers, if Anthony Davis is healthy, that number looks good. Yeah. They have barely played Anthony Davis at center the entire year, which is their trump card that answers all questions. So I can't get worked up about any of this. Yeah. Now, can I zoom out and make the opposite case? Yeah. For why, why I could yeah. be slightly concerned? Yeah, and I'm not actually concerned, but I do feel like I'm living a little bit of deja vu from last year. And here's why: Lakers are down to 15th in offense, and according to Cleaning the Glass, they're 16th in half court offense. So this is the same movie we saw last year. Yeah. When they don't get out in transition, they look like an average offense. Here's a cool stat from a site called Impredictable. I'm sure you frequent Impredictable.com. No, no that's like this is cool. I like it, Zach. It's I like play I, this by is play why site. I like talking to you because you find places like this. Okay. After opponent baskets, so when they have to okay. take the ball out of the net, yep. the Lakers are 24th in offensive Ooh. efficiency. Good. Okay. Well, I know you don't want to talk about James Worthy, but can I can I summarize for you his rant? Because you just cited unpredictable, okay? Unpredictable. Yeah. Unpredictable, not unpredictable. James yeah, Worthy me, was ranting rant. about how damn predictable their offense can get. 
Okay. When they, they have were, one guy who can dribble right, right now. Right. I mean, if I have to watch just another, like LeBron has the ball and it swings around a little bit, but not quickly. Okay. Nobody's really penetrating. They get towards, you know, 10 seconds left in the shot clock. Somebody sets, he calls somebody over to set a pick for him. There's a sort of like lethargic pick and roll thing, but not even really a roll because it's going to be LeBron. It's just, they just want the switch. Um, And then LeBron does his LeBron thing and gets up some kind of a shot. That's what they do all the time. (laughs) And it's like, and by the way, it works all out. He's, he's LeBron James. So it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I mean, but, but the Lakers are at their best, like most teams when the ball is flying around and moving and, and people are making things happen for others. And, and, uh, you know, they have LeBron as the ultimate bailout. Okay. Cause he can pretty much score on at, you know, from all over the place. I liked your, in your 10 things on Friday, you wrote about, you know, his old man game, right? Love old that, man, Bron. That sky hook against Minnesota. I know. I, 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 I squeaked. I squealed when he made that shot. I squealed. You know, Jack, we are so like young 40 somethings who appreciate this stuff now. <laughs> right? I'm glad right. that you called me young. That made me feel good. Yeah. Young 40 something, right? Like early 40s. Okay. So I think like they're going to, I think they're going to be fine when they get Anthony Davis back and Dennis Schroeder back. Like they, they really do miss Schroeder because he's, he's such an energy guy for them. Um, but uh, look, they, you know, Anthony, okay. Since Anthony Davis hurt his calf in, I think it was like the second quarter of that game, that they're one and four. Yeah, not great. Uh, but it also coincides with Schroeder being out. And I think Trez has started to look better for them. The big issue with the Lakers is, um, you know, there's integrating the new guys like Gasol has been okay. I think he's gotten better every, I don't know, every few games he looks better and better. I think he's playing yeah. his way into shape, learning their let's, system, et cetera. Fine. Let's talk about the center position. Yeah. Because there's some news today in the LA times that they're yeah. going to wave beloved Laker Quinn cook. Ugh. Um, and I get the sense that the Lakers are not quite satisfied with what they're getting at center. Mm-hmm. And part of that is that Gasol, Gasol has the usage rate right, right now of almost me if I played for the Lakers. <laughs> like, and there's something to be said for the idea that when you almost have LeBron me. James and Anthony Davis, the ideal center is a low usage player who can space yeah. the floor and pass. But uh, both JaVale and Dwight had slight, slighter higher usage rates, slightly higher usage mm-hmm. rates last season than Mark does now because they offensive rebound, which Mark does not do. Um, and Harrell has been really good with the second unit, made some long twos last night, which is both encouraging and a sign yeah. that literally nothing else is happening on the floor. If Macho yeah. Harrell is taking a 16-footer, he's fine. I just don't know if the Lakers are going to trust him to play center on defense in crunch time. Now, if you put him with AD and LeBron, maybe it doesn't matter. That trio has not played a whole lot of minutes this year. So I am wondering, Momo, are they sniffing around for another look at center? I think so. Um, I think they are like the Quinn Cook news caught me a little off guard this morning because I know that he was always going to be the guy that if they went and got somebody, made a trade, did something on the buyout market, which I sort of expected them to do. Um, just because you're trying to win a championship. If you've got a chance to add some, somebody who's going to play a lot, you should. Um, or somebody who could help you, you should. Uh, but Quinn is universally beloved. He was beloved in Golden State. He's beloved here in Los Angeles. Um, I, you know, they, they, the, the timing of this waiver is not necessarily, like, okay, they got it. they're doing something tomorrow. It said his contract was going to be guaranteed. Um, I thought they would just guarantee his contract. 
And if you need to wave them later, you'll wave them. Okay. Uh, so that's interesting uh, that they, they choose to do that now and they're a little shorthanded anyway, you know, shooters out, he'll be back, but um, they're saying Schroeder, it, Schroeder was, is, is potentially, I heard on the broadcast potentially Friday. He'd yeah. Come back. Yeah. So he, you know, it's just health and safety. He doesn't uh, you know, that's not a, that's not a, we're all, we're, all, we're used to that term now. Um, so I, I do think that they are looking because one of the things like it's a really big difference from how they played last year. You talk about a, the ideal center to play alongside of them, somebody who creates space. So, um, you know, there's two types of space. There's space from shooting and then there's space from verticality. So JaVale and, and Dwight were both guys who gave them that athletic verticality. You can, you can, they, they Braun loves throwing lobs to those guys. They love finding them for just easy baskets. Um, and See, I think that's it's not that, fun. I think it's that. And also they just like the fact that a, those guys are going to crash the offensive glass yeah. and B, I think they liked the fact that those do it's going to just be really unpleasant to go into the lane. Yeah. They're going to hit people. They're going to elbow yeah, do people. Do you remember that Denver series against Jokic? And Mark Dwight doesn't was, play like that. Mark's no, out on and, the perimeter. Yeah. I mean, Dwight Howard's like crowning glory in Lakerland last year was the series against Denver when he just got in there and he mucked it up with Jokic, right? He just made, he just, he just got under his skin. And I, I thought that was a really big contribution. Like it wasn't, wasn't exciting. It wasn't like Dwight Howard level from 2009 going to the finals, but like they won a championship with him doing exactly what they needed him to do. That's not Mark's game. It could be Trez's game, but defensively, I think, you know, that's never been something that, you know, I mean, ask the Clippers about that. Okay. Like ask, you know, his, his career. I think the Lakers defense is a bit more, I'm going to choose my words carefully because I don't want this to sound um, ne like negative. It's, it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a system and there's a lot of detail to it. And I think he's, he's learning that. And so you asked in your question to me, do they trust him? Uh, my answer would be, well, they didn't put him out there last night in the fourth. So, you know, actions speak louder than words. Well, um, we should say their defense is number one in the league yeah. by a lot. Yeah. Uh, and it's very similar to last year where yeah. they are allowing actually a decent opponent shot quality, but opponents are shooting horribly. Yeah. And I think the Lakers size and IQ has a lot to do with that. Um, and Mark, Mark is looks even slower and more groundbound than he mm -hmm. did last year around the basket. They had him blitz. They've had him blitz yeah. here and there a little bit and it hasn't gone well. Uh, but despite all of this, again, yeah. they're number one in defense, their defense is not a problem. I believe in their defense. I believe in their opponent shooting yeah. numbers. And I just, I, I can't sit here and worry about their defense with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. I just can't. Yeah, I know. And, and, and it's, it's, I think with Trez, like the, the big issue for him is, you know, will he earn that trust? And, and that's, you know, the question of any new player joining a championship team where everybody else knows what they're doing, what they're supposed to be doing. I mean, I mean you talk about Kuzma the, earlier. And I mean, that's, that's what has been so impressive about him is he's getting in there and doing the dirty work. I mean, you know, I, like Caruso, that's like every, you know, every people talk about his dunks and you get excited when he does Caruso things or Caruso things. Right. Um, but he had, I mean, like his best play last night. So he stole the tip, right. He, he, he forced a jump ball. As you say, after like, forcing yeah. the jump ball, right. Yeah. Yeah. He stole the tip. Who is he going to Denny Avdia, right. He stole Somebody the tip from Denny. Him. Yeah, this is Denny. And, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's why people like people talk about Caruso's dunks, but like you should love Caruso because he steal, he forces the jump ball and steals the tip. Like those little grinder plays. Like that's that nobody talks about those 
but that's what guys like Kuzma and Caruso, like when you're in the second year of a system and you really know what you're doing and, and you know, Caruso at the end of that um, Miami game where he misses the shot. Well, yeah, but he forced the turnover right before that. I mean, those are, these are, they're making those kind of plays, Zach. I just think they're a little shorthanded. They're not, they're tired at the end of games. They look like it. They're, they're a little, you know, they're letting teams back in games. They build that lead, but then they don't have the staying power to hold it. You know, it's, this is very typical at this point in the season. They're, they're cold. They're in a collective three point shooting slump. And, and look, this is the same movie we saw last year, all last year before the bubble was oh the Lakers half court offense. It's, it's 18th in points per possession. If you can slow the game down and, you know, they get stuck in mud sometimes. And yeah. I was, I said all of this stuff. I was worried about yeah. their half court okay. offense. They get into the playoffs. Everybody starts making threes. Rondo shoots a gazillion percent from threes. Caruso shoots. Yeah. And, and they have the best half court offense in the playoffs. Now, I have to admit, even as the playoffs were unfolding, remember, I'm the moron who said, I thought the Rockets had a good chance to beat the Lakers in the playoffs. That <laughs> went very poorly. For hey, me. you looked really good after that first game, though. Yeah. The, and then. And then yeah, but, not so much. Ramon. But you had a so, you had a not, moment not a lot. of looking good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I just never <laughs> I never looked at the Lakers as like this uber dominant, like unguardable, unsolvable force. And you can look at the bubble and say, well, that's what they became: unguardable, unsolvable, solved everybody, beat everybody. Or you can look at it and say, kinda. But did they get some unsustainable shooting from role players? Or is LeBron just so good that he spoon feeds those guys and they're going to shoot like that again when it matters? I don't know, but I know we lived through this exact movie last year and it turned out to be a red herring. Okay, like it didn't matter when the movie ended. And so I just, you know, some of these offensive stats are interesting. They're worth monitoring, you know, and the identity of the team has changed with Mark replacing Dwight and JaVale. Uh, to a little bit more finesse and a little bit less smash mouth. And the other thing I will say is you can tell LeBron is frustrated because (laughs) there there have been a lot of those. If you watch LeBron after the other team scores a basket, he's back to doing the rolling his eyes, slumping his shoulders. And that's always like, it's not an alarm bell for me because the year he did that the most the Cavs ended up winning the championship. Like yeah. the year he did that most in the regular yeah. season, they won the championship. So it's not like, but it, but it does indicate to me that something's just a little bit off, but I, I, you've noticed, have you noticed that? Oh yeah. Oh, oh, body language LeBron. Yeah. I mean, that's especially it, it, for me, it's a little bit magnified because there's nothing else to watch. Like there's no fans. There's other things. Like, so when you watch the games, like you can hear stuff like you hear stuff more now than you used to <laughs> because there was always this ambient noise. So I hear him talking a lot more. I, I was the other night, I think it was the Miami game. Remember the one where Anthony Davis gets blood on his sweater and stuff. And then he's like, but the reason why we were all watching that is because he was in the huddles, like talking to everyone and having very intense conversations with, I think, I think it was Kuzma and Marcus Saul. I mean, they're working on stuff mid game in a way that maybe they probably always were, but maybe because I'm not distracted by all the fan noise, um, I'm, I'm noticing more. So I think it's not just Braun. I think it's AD too, even though he's not out there. Um, so I think, that was when Van Gundy was pointing out that Anthony Davis switched shirts twice yeah, during the game, twice. which I just, I will accept no Jeff Van Gundy broadcast slander on Agreed. the Twitter sphere. He just, he makes me laugh 
Yeah. Every, and he couldn't say Taylor Horton Tucker's name. He had like a complete, <laughs> con, he had like a stroke trying to say Taylor Horton Tucker's <laughs> name. It was amazing. By the way, he's pretty good. And if they, yeah. Yeah. if they're going to try to make a trade, he's essentially all they have because I don't Ooh. think they're giving up Kuzma. They don't have any picks left, really. I mean, if they're out right. of picks in perpetuity. I think Ooh. Taylor Horton Tucker's earned earned a look. Um, do you buy the cousins the cousins noise at all? I don't. I I think that's not what they need, right? They, what they need is somebody young and bouncy. Like, oh, I'm gonna say this out loud, and I I I don't know. Do you buy the Hassan Whiteside noise? I mean, that would. Well, he's like, not bouncy. He's, he's no, not bouncy. but he's um, a little more in that vein of Dwight and uh, Javale. There's gonna be guys though. Like that's the thing. We don't need to identify the targets yet because there's, you know, there's so many, there's a month left before we're going to figure out. I don't know if it's even going to be a trade. Like, I think it's, you know, a Marquise Morris situation like last year. I mean, we, it, he, he ended up playing a really pivotal role for them and he's been a really good vet. Another guy who made yeah. like every shot in the playoffs yeah. when it, when it seemed to matter, particularly in that Houston. He was the better Morai last year. Okay. I mean, very not, good use of Morai. That's the, act, that's the appropriate term. They are the Morai <laughs> and you yeah. nailed it. Thank you. The, more, I, the I, other Morai, Marcus, is yeah. hitting everything. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to have Oman after you to talk about the Clippers. He's having <laughs> yeah. one of those stretches where he's, Marcus is shooting a gazillion percent. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Here's another interesting thing. So I don't think they care about seating. Mm -hmm. We don't know what home court is going to look like, if there will be a home court, whatever the play. I don't think they're going to care about seating so much. I mean, it's not like they're going to fall much further than they are now. It, it seems unfeasible to me. They have played the easiest schedule in the NBA, according to basketball reference, and the second easiest schedule, according to uh, our stuff at ESPN. So the second half schedule, when it comes out, is going to be unkind to them. So that's something. Um, yeah, and this week is going to be a big week for them. Well, they got right? Phoenix they go to- and Utah. Yeah. Um, I wish we had AD for this game because 
you know, the question everybody has about Utah, and I love Utah. I've loved this Utah team for a long time. I did not mm-hmm. expect them to turn into like the 73-win Warriors all of a sudden, yeah. but they're really, really good. The question everybody has uh, about them is, okay, when you get a big physical team that slows the game down and you can't get into the blender and all this, A, how are you creating offense? And B, who exactly on your team is guarding LeBron James and Anthony Davis? Because if Royce O'Neal O'Neal is not a great answer to either of those questions, and he can only be the answer to one of those questions, I don't don't even know who it would be because is Boyan Bogdanovich guarding Anthony Davis? That's going to go poorly. Is Donovan Mitchell guarding LeBron James? That's going to go poorly. And so that's a matchup I would have been very interested to see. It's a good contrast to styles. We're not really going to see it. But look, I, I just I thought the Lakers got better in the offseason. They clearly changed their identity. Mm-hmm. That center swap is a big identity change. I thought ultimately it would be at least a wash, if not better for them because of the spacing. Mm-hmm. I think Schroeder is huge for them. They've leaned hard into the Schroeder LeBron pick and roll, which is deadly with shooting around it. Yeah, they actually haven't leaned that hard into it. They've used it and it's clearly a tool they're going to use. I just can't get too worked up about about this uh, little mini blip on the radar, but maybe I'm just boring. I wouldn't get on talk radio, I guess, in LA. Well, you would calm them, right? You would calm talk radio in LA. Um, I think, look, this is, you, you pointed out their schedule, that it's, you know, it's been the easiest schedule or the second easiest schedule, whatever it is. Um, and I would also say they have done all this without having, you know, the, you know there's been so many teams that have had, real issues with health and safety protocols, right? We're missing, you know, half the team or three key players at any one time. There's been a a lot of our teams here in this league this have had these real disruptions to their schedule. So yeah, they're 22 and 10 looks good, but they haven't had this kind of a stretch where key player out to injury, key player out to health health and safety protocols. And it's just one, I mean, go call Miami heat and ask for some sympathy, right? Go call Boston or go like, there's so many teams that have had these kinds of disruptions um, and the Lakers haven't. So they've had an easy schedule and they haven't had these kind of disruptions. So I, you know, I, I'm not too worked up about it either, Zach. I think this is just typical as you go through an NBA season, there are stretches like this. Um, but it's the, let's put it this way. The all-star break cannot come soon enough. Well, and look, this is the point that Perk made on Get Up With Me this morning. It's like, the Clippers are awesome. Now, you can talk about whether you believe it in the playoffs, what's going to happen when they face adversity. I'm pretty confident in them. The Jazz are really good. The Suns are not a pushover. Like, the competition at the top of the West is going to be pretty strong. I And it just could be, you know, we we get guilty of falling into these traps. We just saw the Lakers win the championship. We just saw them throw off this whole idea Mm -hmm. that their half-court offense was going to be a problem in the playoffs. Um, I just still, when the chips are down, I'm still betting on LeBron and AD. Obviously, if AD comes back and he's not healthy, the whole, I mean, it's not even worth yeah. saying. The whole thing yeah. is different. What are we talking about? Um, yeah. The, the, the thing we should, um, and, and they're not taking enough threes, but this was the same thing last year. It's the same, mm-hmm. exact same issues. Um, the thing we, we should at least pay lip service to is, I, I had Hollinger on the pod last week, and he said, LeBron's MVP case, is, is, it's going to rise or fall on this stretch without Anthony Davis. And I pushed back and I said, I actually don't think that's true because in my head, like what's the worst thing that's going to happen to the Lakers. It's not like they're going to go one in 10. And in that case, it would break LeBron's MVP mm-hmm. case. He, he's what I thought was they're going to play. Well, let's say AD misses, just put a number on, I don't know, 15 games. 
Okay. Um, I'm just a random number, 12 games. Yeah, whatever. sure. They'll yeah. go seven and five. They'll muddle through because they're yeah. amazing. LeBron will play well and it will end up sort of not really mattering either way. Now they're one and four. Their only win is against Minnesota, who stinks and just fired their coach in an absolutely bizarre manner, hiring a new one from another team immediately, setting a world record. I think they set a world record. Yeah. Maybe we should congratulate them <laughs> on setting a world record, actually. Yeah, it's well choreographed. I mean, it was like usually you would kind of have like a day or two in between or a couple hours. This was like he's coaching tonight. Yeah, Chris tonight. Finch is coaching the game tonight. Did they send the plane? Where was Toronto at the time? <laughs> right? Like, did he say? Did he even have time to say it? Because he's that, that's a great counterfactual. What if they were in Toronto? Could he even oh. get out of Toronto? Could he? Uh, it right. doesn't. Where, it doesn't matter. It doesn't right. matter. Um, <laughs> and so, if they lose to Utah, and, and like there is now a universe in which this could hurt. LeBron's MVP case, I still don't ultimately think it's going to. They'll muddle through. They'll get some of these. Like, they've got Portland yeah. Golden State sacked. They'll get a couple of those games. Um, but it is interesting. MVP is going to be – it's yeah. going to be fun. It's going to be Look, ugly. There's going to be some streaming was, on ESPN. Oh, I, I'm already feeling it everywhere, like, on you know, on the social media, the Twitter, the Instagram, whatever. Um, to me, it was – LeBron was in the lead. He had the pole position for MVP. And – which which means you can only lose it at that point. And um, this this little stretch, like it gives other people some. I mean, like Joel Embiid just put up a fifty burger the other night. Like he, like Why Jokic, Dame Lillard, Steph Curry. Like let's name some other. Right. I mean, I think there's a lot of other guys that could make the case right now. Like the door is open. And I think you you pointed out LeBron's body language, his frustration level rising. Like he's been defiant in post game interviews, saying, "I'm not going to rest. I'm going to carry us." Right? I mean, all of that goes into him recognizing he's got the inside track for an MVP this year. What my message to LeBron would be is, dude, you can rest a game or two, man. Yeah. It's not going to cost you MVP. I know you did no. the thing in 2018, your last year in Cleveland. You're like, I'm playing all 82 to win MVP. Yeah. You didn't win. Um, you can take a couple games off. Like it's, a, yeah. it's not going to hurt your MVP case. I don't think anyone's going to care. I mean, people will care if he plays every game, but if he misses four, it's virtually the same as playing every right. game. Right. And, and the other thing too, is that this is another thing that is freaking people out is because there was a year when Kobe tore his Achilles after having a, I'm never going to rest and I'm going to play every single minute. And you know, it, like you just feel like he's 36 don't push it. Don't, don't the, the, over the course of a season, it's going to take a toll on you, except like, this is one of those things where while you're winning and while he looks great, um, you don't sweat that. But when he starts to look tired at the end of games, like I thought he looked tired. He had like, it was it seven, eight turnovers last night. Not great. Missed that free throw that could have just won it in regulation. A lot of they missed free throws in the game yeah. last night. A lot of missed yeah. free throws. Yeah, Gasol missed two free throws. That wasn't great. I mean, yeah, that one hurts. That one hurt because when you're already a little bit, he's not in the spotlight, spotlight, but he's yeah. going to be soon. And when you miss two big free throws, I know. the other thing about Mark, I thought when they signed him, you know, when they play their big, big lineups with Gasol and AD, their starting lineup, a lot of teams are going to put their centers on AD and put yep. smaller players on, on Mark. And the Spurs, even in a two game back to back baseball thing, put DeMar DeRozan on Mark. Yeah. And I thought Mark still had enough juice in the tank. You don't have mm -hmm. juice in the tank. You have gas in the tank. So yeah, I'm with the tank. mixed metaphor. Yeah, if okay. you fill your car with juice, I don't think it works. Uh, uh, it's probably some technology that hasn't been invented yet. 
to take those guys to the block and do something. And he just hasn't. Now, last night he he did against, I don't remember who they switched on him, but they switched a little guy on him and he hit Kuzma for a kickout three. Yeah. I thought we'd see more of that from, yeah. from Mark. And I also thought we'd see the Lakers. If, if the other team puts their center on Anthony Davis, you just have to go right into the LeBron Davis pick and roll because they can't switch that with the center because right. LeBron's going to roast that dude. And, yeah. I, and I think those are the kind of things in the playoffs where – they just sort of zero in on we're doing this until you, they become meaner and more predatory. And I think that kind of yeah. stuff will happen more. So you're a, you're a guy who's covered Mark more than I have over the years um, and watched him very closely. Like, how does he look to you? Does he look like he's like, how, how much juice in the tank do you think he has? Right. Is it, is this a playing himself into shape? Is this a, um, learning a new system after being in Toronto all those years. like is He's it, uh, been less effective at the rim on defense than I, not that he was going to be mm-hmm. Gobert or anything, but he no. guys, guards are scoring into and over him a little bit mm-hmm. more easily um, than I expected. Offensively, look, this is, we knew this is what he was going to be. He doesn't want to shoot. He just wants to pass. He wants to hit LeBron for backdoor yeah. cuts. He's been shooting more lately and better lately. And he has to shoot threes. He has to shoot pick yeah. and pop threes. And when the defense starts sending, flashing that third guy at him, then he's going to get into passing gear and they hit yep. the swing pass and all that. I, I honestly think I, I get why people are disappointed in him. I think he's been fine. To me, the benefit comes in the spacing he opens for LeBron mm-hmm. and AD. And we when they've when they've really sort of focused on doing that kind of stuff, it's been lethal. So I'm still kind of optimistic about the fit. I get why they'd sniff around other guys, but will they sniff around Blake Griffin? If and when he gets that. bought out? Yeah, I've heard that. Um, but I mean, again, let's look at what is it that they're lacking? Like, what do you, what, or do you want another guy who is, um, I think Blake's a really good passer. I, I don't know. I, I've even, even went back in his dunk dunker days. Right. Okay. I'll just call it that. Um, he's a ground ground player now, but he's, I, I think he's always been a pretty good passer. Great passer. Um, yeah. But is he, is he going to help them in the things that you're right in, in what they're not getting from Mark, right? Is he going to help them in defensively in what they're not getting from Trez? Like, like what does he help them with? So yeah, I, yeah, I've heard who, that out there, but. To me, whoever gets Blake, a, a contender who gets Blake. Now, Brooklyn's got a lot of holes to fill. He could do a yeah. lot of different things for them. But to yeah. me, Blake is like a backup five. Okay. He bases the floor and passes and can survive mm-hmm. on defense because he's facing other backups. Um, and I just think a Blake revenge conference finals against the Clippers would be just <laughs> incredible theater. Um, yeah. With Balmer cheering. Did you see Balmer uh, the other night just dis- distracting DJ I, at the I, foul I te- line and kicking yeah, his I feet around? A, I texted uh, Brian Winhorse because he just did that top shot thing. I was like, the Balmer kicking his feet meme, that's got to be like the highest thing on top shot pretty soon, right? They got to make a top shot out of that. I mean, it's, his- and it's so, it's so awesome because there's no fans there. So he's trying not to be as loud, but he still is. And it's just like, that's the only thing you hear. It's like somebody's loud dad at the, at the high, at the AAU game, <laughs> his feet were. He was sitting in a chair. Yep. His feet were at belt level. Like he yeah. got his feet pretty. Like, uh, I'm. If you did that on a on, like you could, you're at risk of falling over on some chairs. Good if, core if, strength. <laughs> good core strength, right? And it's but he's by himself, so it's just a single chair there. It's not like they have all the other chairs that are usually next to him. So it's just like him in the chair under the opponent's hoop. <laughs> like I, he I, did, I, I, 
he I didn't feel like really Clifford try Barrel to hide. Is jealous, you know, he didn't try to hide that he was distracting DJ no. with his clapping. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> it's kind of like the when JJ Reddick got tossed from the game the other night yeah. and he did that hard spin th- throw yeah. back at the refs. It's like, yeah, you know what you're doing, JJ. Like, I, you, you have plausible deniability, like, oh, I was just throwing the ref the ball, but yeah. we know what you were doing. Um, remember, was it Danny Ainge? who was sitting courtside once and threw a towel up in the air. It's like, it might've been LeBron <laughs> shooting like free throws actually like simultaneously. Yeah. And I don't know what his reasoning was. Anyway. Um, no, it's good. No. Long story short, Ramona, I'm not really worried about the Lakers. Sorry. Okay. It's okay. If they, lo- if they lose to Utah, if they lose at Utah, if they, lose, they might, if they lose on the road to the team with the best record and best point <laughs> differential in basketball without, Le- without Anthony Davis, yeah. without Dennis Schroeder, then it's time. Then it's time to panic. Really? Panic. All How, out panic. Okay. On the on the panic meter, one to ten. If they lose to Utah? Out. Yeah. Oh, 11. Just blow oh. it up. Blow it up. No. I'm gonna, now you're it's getting gonna the, be now hard you're to, getting It's going to be here. hard to get me past two. I know. Until I hear bad news about Anthony Davis or LeBron James. Right. That's, that's, yeah. It's going to be hard to get me past two. Two, I'll just, okay. Two, two, I'm yeah. a little like, you know. Yeah. Whatever. I'm watching. Look, All right, Momo. The word Achilles um, and Anthony Davis have appeared in the same sentence. Scary. Yes. Okay. Well, Ramona, um, I've got to go talk to Owen about the Clippers. Yeah, you do it. A wonderful piece up today on De'Aaron Fox and his fiance and love and basketball. I just read it before this podcast. We were supposed to talk about it, but then the Lakers lost again. It's like, I'm just going to talk about the Lakers. No, and it's the okay. Kings just and it's a every, nice the Kings just lose every game. So it doesn't seven matter. in a row. And it's probably they're playing Brooklyn. And uh, it's like poorly timed, I know. But it's what a really nice injuries story. Too. Harrison Barnes was hurt. Rashawn Holmes yeah. was hurt. Yeah, it is a yeah. nice story. Yeah, it's a nice story. It's a nice about, but but she does correct me. Her name is Rasay Caldwell, and uh, she does cor- she does correct me. She's like, I was like, this is kind of like a love and basketball story, and she says, well, yeah, except for Quincy kind of did Monica wrong in that, you know, like she, she's like, uh, we're like the healthier version of love and basketball, uh, and I, I think that's true. If you really watch that movie if you're a guy and you watch that movie, you think it's so awesome. If you're a girl and you watch that movie, you're like, yeah, Quincy's kind of annoying. I have like, a confession. What, have you never seen it? Never saw it. Oh, this, this needs to be on your, oh, when you go back to traveling and you're in the hotel and you watch the movies, that's, that's your thing, right? What's the best Just, basketball movie? Point blank. Go. Best basketball movie. White Man movie. Can't Jump. Easy, right? It's like, right? Hoosiers is the popular answer. I, Hoosiers is fine. White Man Can't Hoosiers Jump is, is multitudes yeah. better than oh. Hoosiers. Yeah, I I went back and watched Hoosiers because I I was like that was a, a favorite of mine when I was a kid. It doesn't age as well. Oh, yeah. Hoosiers has a lot. We don't want to get into the sociological commentary no. about Hoosiers. No, uh, it's got some issues. <laughs> yeah, uh, all right, like, Momo. Uh, yeah, all right, Zach, go go talk go, to go see that little kid of yours. Uh, I'll all see right. you in I'm LA. Go put some juice in the tank. Yeah, I'll see you in LA soon enough. Talk to you. <laughs> Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. 
That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Stephen A's World streams weekdays on ESPN Plus, bringing fans Stephen A. Smith's entertaining perspective and deep expertise with signature guests. The best interviews from Stephen A's World are now available as a podcast. Ooh, every Wednesday. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and watch Stephen A's World on ESPN Plus. All right, let's round out L.A. Day by going to the other L.A. team. They're still the other L.A. team. They still have to come second in any L.A. Day podcast. That's the Clippers. 22-10, and 10, same record as the Lakers. Number two in offense behind the absolutely terrifying Brooklyn Nets. Actually, now number three, I hear, behind the Bucks too. Number 15 in defense, which is something we can talk about with the guy at our shop who knows the Clippers better than anyone. Om Young Masuk, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Doing well. about as well as you can do in L.A. Uh, with everything, you know, starting to maybe open up a little bit. Outdoor dining, at least, is back. Interesting. Okay, I have not dined. I have not done any anything but indoor dining. Uh, smart. I've just done. I've, I've, I'm an indoor. I'm most. I'm. I'm generally an indoorsman anyway. I like to refer to myself as an indoorsman. Uh, <laughs> like, if anyone ever asked me to go camping, that's a hard no. Yeah. Uh, hiking, oh, yeah. hiking. I feel like it's a lot of work. The payoff has to be really good. Like, if I get to the top, it's got to be freaking spectacular, or else I'm gonna just say, "Well, why did we do this for four hours?" Yeah, I've only done camping, you know, like, remember, like, when we were kids, like, in seventh grade, they would take you camping for some reason, like, you know, maybe it was, like, sixth grade, the whole class would go camping. I hated it. Uh, we went caving, and I thought, for some reason, they had these little kids in bubble jackets, it was cold, going into, the, like, the Luray Caverns in Virginia, and I got caught in between, like, the tightest and narrowest of ways of, of caves. And I was thinking, like, I'm going to die. And That's I'm it. You're done. Afraid. It's, all, and it's I, over. And now I look back as an adult. I'm like, what the hell were these schools thinking, <laughs> taking these kids into these caves? They thought men were men and we need to learn how to do things like start fires and build stuff. <laughs> and flash forward 35 years, I can't build anything. I can't yeah. fix anything. I'm a complete failure as a man. And so here we are. Let's talk about the Clippers. Uh, like I said, third in offense, basically first. They're all in a virtual tie. 15th in defense. Kind of hasn't been a lot of talk about the Clippers this year considering how good they were last year. They were my pick to win the title. A lot of us picked them to win the title They f and how spectacularly they flamed out. They're sort of just churning along. Like they're shooting the bejesus out of it from three and from the mid-range. Kawhi's having an MVP season. Paul George, the revenge tour is happening. Ibaka has fit in well. Some weird things have happened with the rotation lately, like Kennard, who they just paid $15 million a year, is getting DNP CDs in favor of Terrence Mann. Um, I don't know. You're, you're, I mean, you're, no one's with them every day anymore, but yeah. you're, you're, you're taking the pulse of them every day. Do they feel different? Do they themselves feel different? Like, do, how do they feel about where they are as a team? Obviously, Ty Lue has replaced Doc and changed some things, but I think not that much. Like, what are we, what are we to make of this team? They are slowly progressing to, I think, where they want to be. Um, they've had disruptions like last year where they've had guys in and out due to injury, but they're still making that progression. And I'm not even just talking about on the court. 
I think off the court is the most important thing for them because we saw last year when they just had that spectacular meltdown, uh, their chemistry was never there. Uh, they tried. I don't think it wasn't for a lack of effort, uh, you know, between PG and Kawhi trying to meet up during the pandemic uh, to work out together and Pat Bev and, uh, you know, little uh, midnight kumbaya uh, meeting, team meetings at the hotel, things like that. Uh, but this year, the difference, I think, is these guys have, I think, a little more ownership in the team, not just Kawhi and PG, but the whole team. Um I watched them through my binoculars from where we sit. So, Zach, you haven't been in Staples Center. You literally, you, you're literally bringing. You're not kidding. You bring your binoculars. Oh to yeah, me. yeah. I think that's the football. I, you know, I covered the NFL uh, for about maybe five, seven years. And that was Jets, J E T S, Jets, 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 yeah. and Giants. Yeah, and uh, so you need binoculars. And where we sit now, I'm listen. We're not that far away. We're at the top of the 100 level on this little concourse. But I like to use my binoculars to watch what's going on in the sidelines, especially with this Clipper team. Because last year, there was a lot of little, like, sniping at each other at times between Trez and PG. If PG would mess up something, a defensive assignment, you would see Trez talk to him or Lou, and they would kind of go back to the sideline. And so now I kind of keep an eye on things. And, you know, what you see is, like, the other night, Rudy Gobert is eating them up. He's in the middle of a 20-20 and 20 game. And he, he gets a couple of dunks, and Zoo, Buddha bless his soul, this kid tries really hard. He wants to be good. He's competitive. Um, he's really frustrated, as frustrated as I've seen him. He's such a he's a good kid, nice kid. And, you, and, and I, Zoo's, a, Zoo's a good kid, and he's played, after a slow start, he's played better uh-huh, in the last right. month. But this, this one game is as frustrated as I've seen him. And over the span of the next two to three timeouts, which is called pretty rapidly, I would say, um, I think half the team talked to him and it wasn't just a talk to him. Like, you know what? Don't worry about it. Get back out there. You'll be fine. It was a, every single guy was trying to figure out defensively what to do, what they did wrong. You, you know, I wasn't in the huddle obviously, but in watching, I think you can tell the body language of how something is explained to someone when you're trying to figure something out versus, Hey man, just get back out there. You'll be all right. And it wasn't just, Pat Bev, who's doing this all the time, trying to figure things out defensively. Um, It was like Serge Ibaka. It was Reggie Jackson. It was Marcus Morris. Lou Williams, who's about as vocal as anybody in these things. Uh, PG, who wasn't playing. And you always kind of see what I also find interesting is Kawhi kind of listens into everything. Even when he was injured, he would always come over and listen in. Sometimes he would even walk over to when Ty meets with his coaches during a timeout and just kind of figure out and listen things. And I also find interesting... The difference between the coaching staffs of last year and this year, well, last year was very dominated by Doc, right? Doc would let Rex Klamian obviously talk to the guys about the defense and stuff like that. Uh, Ty, for the most part, almost maybe I would say 85% of the time, talks out with his assistants for almost, he takes it almost all the way down to the entire timeout. He lets Dan Craig first go first, talk defense with the guys. And Dan Craig is really like a give and take. It's mostly the players. From from the heat, Dan Craig, for people who don't know, you'll see him conducting the defense. Yeah. Short guy, short, dark hair. Came from the heat. He was supposed lead assistant with the heat. Very interesting move, by the way. People don't leave that position in the heat. Yep. It it wasn't a lateral move because they gave him the associate head coach title. But that's an interesting people. That's an atypical move out of Miami. And listen, I think the Clippers saw the Clippers. 
like their culture to kind of be similar to the heat culture, which is this, you know, we're going to, we're gritty. We grind. We want to work hard. We want to get into you defensively. LA our way streetlights, not spotlights. Exactly. Except for the billboards. And, and then, you know, they saw the heat make their run to the finals. And then when they decided to change their coaching staff, they wanted to make the assistance as good as possible. Following the Lakers a little bit, their blueprint uh, with their coaching staff. But Ty, he allows Dan Craig to talk to the guys first, and it's really a back and forth. You see it a lot um, in a good way. They're figuring things out. Then Ty goes in for maybe, I want to say, 30 seconds, draws up a quick play, and that's it. <laughs> and, I, and I look at him, I'm like, wow. So it's like I think he's, he really uh, is very economical with the time he uses with his players. And you see a lot of times in these timeouts the players are the ones just basically talking to each other and trying to figure things out all the time. And then, of course – when games get really tight and when it's needed, Ty will spend a little bit longer talking to them in timeouts. Their defense is up to 15th. There was a period of time early in the season where I was a little worried about it because they were str- they weren't struggling, but they were giving up a lot of points, and they've trended the right way. If you look at the stats, they're getting killed on mid-range jumpers. Teams are sh- hot for the mid-range. That doesn't bother me. Like that's it, It'll even out one way or another. Someone who knows Ty pretty well told me during that period when I started asking around, don't worry too much about what you see from the Clippers on defense in a regular season because Ty is going to save a lot of cards. for When Ty knows he has a team that's trying to win the championship, he's not going to play all of his cards in the regular season. And if he feels that he has to, and maybe he doesn't feel that he has to, he will take more ownership of the defense in the playoffs when it really matters. This was someone talking particularly about his time in Cleveland, obviously. Um, I, I thought that was interesting. Like, what what do you think he has actually changed from? Because there was a lot of talk about like they're passing more and blah blah blah, and like they look totally different offense. Can I read you some stats, Om? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear it. Their assist rate this year, they've assisted on fifty eight percent of their baskets. That's twenty third in the league. Do you want to know what it was last year? What was it? Fifty seven percent, twenty fourth in the league. Hmm. Uh, they are throwing two hundred and eighty three passes a game. That's 22nd. Last year, 271, which was 28th. So 12 more passes. That's, you know, nothing, something. I don't know. It's whatever. ISOs, 18.5 a game last year, 18.2 a game this year. Like, I just kind of, at the beginning of the season, you noticed they were running some more flex actions and they were trying to make the Kawhi PG two-man game a thing. It hasn't really happened. Like, I, I just don't buy that there's like a major stylistic change they're taking more threes which is big they're starting recently to play morris at center more in Mm. the sort of five wing lineup which is interesting and something i thought ty would do like how convinced are you that there's been some sort of stylistic shift i do think and it's interesting that you read the stats because it doesn't sound like it's much to the eye test though it feels like the offense is passing a lot more and i think they're also scoring when they are going at their best they are scoring off the hockey assist. Uh, it's not the first action that Kawhi and PG create. It's the second and third pass. These guys are giving up. They have a mantra. It's we're giving up a good shot for the better shot. And they really are doing that. Now, there are times when they get caught up, for example, especially when they face the Brooklyn Nets. And I think this is kind of sneaky way of the Brooklyn Nets part of their defense, <laughs> which really isn't their defense, but – Kyrie and James and Durant, when they're so good one-on-one that Kawhi and PG couldn't help but get sucked into 
the isolation, try to match them in the third and the fourth quarters of trying to match them shot for shot. And they got away from their passing offense. The Clippers are really good and at their best when they are moving the ball and making that third, fourth, fifth extra pass, sometimes almost too much, too unselfish. Um, defensively, the mid-range stat that you gave is interesting because Ty is saying that that's what they want. They're forcing teams to want yep. to throw up the floaters in the mid-ranges. They don't want the threes, um, and they don't want right at the rim at the paint. Um, so probably that's maybe a little byproduct of that. Defensively, I think they are behind where they are offensively. Defensively, I don't think they are nearly as good yet as they can be or what they were last year when they were at their best. And I see them get exposed a lot by quick athletic point guards um, and also three-point shooting. Uh, there are nights when there are guys that just get absolutely hot against them from three and will hit seven to ten three. Zach Levine, Mike Conley, guys like that. So I think they're still very much figuring out what they need to do defensively. And maybe, I don't know. One thing I, I one of my worries about the Clippers is are they going to be as good defensively as we think they can be, especially when they can't guard these quicker, more athletic guards in front of them. They've been about average in giving up threes and opponent three point percentage. I, I I'm not too worried about like I think they'll be a good defensive team. Look, their numbers when they have PG and Kawhi on the floor, which is really like what you want to know. Like when you when it's closing time, so they're plus twenty per 100 possessions with Kawhi and PG on the floor, which is an absolute monster number. 125 points per 100 possessions, which is ridiculous. 105 allowed, which would be number one in the league on a, on a team level. So defensively, their main lineups are fine. Uh, Surge has really... Ibaka has changed their team in exactly the way that they expected Ibaka to change their team on both ends of the floor. So here's my question for you. One of the ways in which he's changed their team, and it's a very interesting parallel with the locker room neighbors, the Lakers, who went from all rim running at the rim, hang on the rim centers to half their center minutes going to Marcus Gasol. The same thing happened to the Clippers, who went from Zubats and Harold, who are just hunting the rim all the time, to Zubats and Ibaka, who's just shooting threes. The Clippers are 28th in shots at the rim. They never, ever get to the rim. That number is even lower if you isolate the minutes that PG and Kawhi play together. Now, the flip side is they take a ton of threes in those minutes. So they're taking more high, high profit looks from deep. Their free throw rate is just okay. So I don't know if you've talked to people within the team about this. Like, are they concerned about we've, I understand we're an unbelievable shooting team. Kawhi lives in the mid range. PG has been on fire from everywhere. It would behoove us, behoove, I say, <laughs> to like, just get a few more buckets at the rim a few more free throws. Is that a discussion they're having? Uh, not yet. I don't think they haven't really talked about it as far as like when we're talking to them, I think what you see is uh, they obviously don't have that Lou Williams, Trez pick and roll anymore. And so they are trying to bring it into the Zubats and say a Lou Williams or Paul George uh, pick and roll, which was really working the other night in the fourth quarter uh, against Brooklyn. Um, for a couple, two, 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 two baskets in a row, we got Zubas was a couple easy dunks. Um, but yeah, I would say you know, look, Marcus Morris is not an inside guy. He's a guy that likes to post up and shoot fade. Another away. guy who's shooting a million percent, Mike. He does he ever? I mean, he's into one of these stretches where when he shoots like this, you brainwash yourself and think, well, just nobody can beat this team. And then he's going to go through three games where he's two of nine. But when right. he shoots like this, like my God, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, Lou has been very up up and down. In fact, he's been more down than up 
Um, and then, and then he hit that stretch where the, the big guys were out and he started playing well. Lou hasn't looked as good as he has in, in the past years. And I don't know if that's age or his legs or maybe just the, the lack of an off season. Uh, and he just has, he's gotten off to a slow start. Um, but yeah, they, that is one thing. They don't have a lot of interior play. Surge sometimes will be in there a little bit. They are not finishing with Surge, with Surge a lot. I don't mind that because I actually think they need to save Surge for the playoffs. Um, and I think right now Ty wants to see what a small lineup can do. And I think Surge is okay with that too because I think, as you said, Surge is a huge piece for them. Uh, I think last year after Jokic, our guy Jokic tore them up in that second round, uh, especially with Trez uh, being undersized. I think they looked at it like, okay, we need to change things. I remember – after Trez left for the Lakers, I was texting with somebody at the Clippers, and I was like, whoa, you guys just lost a big piece. And there was kind of like radio silence for a little bit, and then when they got Surge, it was like, now you see why we're not that worried, you know, kind of thing. And it's so far, it has turned out to be exactly what they're hoping, somebody who can spread the floor. And I think you've seen as a product, the three-point shooting has been a lot better. Nuggets played the Lakers last week, and I was watching that game, and Jokic went through a stretch where he was having his way with Trez, and I thought to myself, <laughs> if I were, if I were, Montrose Hill surely is mentally much stronger than I am. If I were him, the, just the very sight of Nikola Jokic lumbering toward me, would, I would just be asking, I'd be like, I'm tired. I'm asking, I can't be on the floor with this dude. At what um, point I think Trez was kind of talking a little smack back to him. I was watching yeah, that game, and he was It's saying, a big mistake. Yeah, the other night I was watching like Lakers uh, Wizards last night, and I was like, I can't believe Trez isn't on the floor at the end here because he was one of their highest scores. And it's Robin Lopez. Yeah, Robin Lopez was I think was one of their best plus minuses guys on for the Wizards last night. But I was a little surprised that Montrez wasn't finishing that game, especially with ADL. Rolo, king of the ice cream scoop hook shot, man. He's he's that thing. It. He almost brings the ball to the floor. On, he even got a little thing. floater now. I think he's been trying to have a little floater. I am all in on Robin Lopez, just the whole experience. Um, let's talk about Lou because this is he gets us to the most interesting positional group on the team, which is all of these guards that they have. And at the beginning of the season, when they when they got Kennard, okay, you know this as well as I do. The buzz was immediately it's kind of an either or for Kennard or Lou, right? Like this is this this is an indication that Lou could be on the move. You know, when we heard about these chemistry issues that you know, allegedly derailed the team last year. It was, the idea was the holdover guys and the new guys not meshing. And like Lou was part of that. Well, yeah. the other part of that is gone, plays for the Lakers now. Mm -hmm. Lou's still here. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning of the season, it seemed like his role was going to be shrunk a little bit. His usage was down. His minutes were down. With Kennard out of the rotation, that's changed. Lou's role is, is big again. Now, that said, he's only played, I just looked it up, He's only played 67 minutes all year with both Paul George and Kawhi on the floor. That's obviously those guys have been in and out of the lineup, but that's clearly by design. They're sort of done with the idea that they've they've concluded correctly. I think that Lou is just so redundant as a ball handler with those two guys on the floor. They're going to use him when it's just one of them on the floor for the most part. Um, then you've got Beverly, who's their starter. We know what Pat Beverly is. Reggie Jackson flows in and out of the rotation. Kennard, I mentioned, that's that's four guys or three guys Terrence and four Mann. including Lou Terrence Mann, uh who we'll get to um and i guess you know all four of those guys are interesting in their own ways or unusual in their own ways some of them are on good contracts some of them are not um floating over all of this um is this notion that's been out there for a year and a half two years now the, the clippers need a point guard 
The reason their assist rate is low, they don't have a point guard. The reason they devolve into ISO balls because they don't have a point guard. They don't have anyone to get them organized. The reason why they're not getting enough shots at the rim is they don't have a north-south point guard. I do think that hurt them a little bit last year. You talk to people within the team, their conclusion generally is that was overblown and it was much more the chemistry stuff than the point guard stuff. So can they get up? Do they do they think they need a point guard? Is there one out there that's gettable for them? Like, where are they standing now that we're almost halfway through? I think they do need a ball creator, a playmaker, um, a third guy, especially like it, you notice it when they play against teams like the Nets. Now, obviously, there aren't many teams like the Nets to have three incredible individual talents. But like, you know, I was looking, I was like, this is like, this feels a little bit like three versus two at times. Uh, when Kawhi and PG are trying to match them, and then all of a sudden, when they have to work so hard, there isn't a third guy to really create. Lou technically is supposed to be that guy, but you're right. They don't really play those three together a lot. And 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 I think defensively, as good as Pat Bev is, um, they need somebody maybe a little younger, a little quicker sometimes to be able to guard against these incredibly great and gifted point guards that they face every night. Um, Pat Bev would probably yell at me for saying that, but Pat I Bev- almost wonder if Pat Be- Pat Bev has reached a stage where he's better guarding up a position than he is guarding his own position because he loves to get into guy. Like you put him on a guy like Durant. Now he can't guard Durant. Durant's a foot taller than him, but you know what I mean. Like he yeah. likes to get into those bigger yeah. guys. Yeah, like James Harden or whatever. He likes getting into those guys. And listen, Pat Bev has been incredible on the offensive end. He's knocking down almost every open three he's getting, um, and he's shooting a great percentage. But like I would say. Uh, I still think they need another playmaker. I do think they need they can use another point guard um, that would help them, but they just don't have a lot to give up. And whatever they do, they have to give up. They're just not going to get equal compensation back for that. And I mean, mostly Lou Williams and his, I think, what eight million dollar contract. Well, that's the thing. So where is is Lou? Was Lou part of the chemistry issues? Was he not part of the chemistry? Obviously, he had the whole thing where he went to the club and had to sit for a while in the bubble. I think that impacted the team a little bit. Now, there was some sort of like, well, Lou is Lou. You just that's what you get with Lou. But there was some annoyance, too. But now he's he's back. And he was one of the guys you were talking about with Zubats the other night sort of encouraging him. So is that just over? Is he fine? Is he part of the fabric of the team? And it's totally cool. Lou actually is a guy that is always talking to guy to, to to his teammates. He's not this like I don't know. Maybe I don't know if the rest of the country seems to think that. Oh, you know, Lou went to the club and got the wings and all that stuff, and he's this malcontent. He's not that. A, he's not a malcontent at all. He's got to gets along with everybody and has. Everybody respect. loves Lou. Yeah. everyone loves Lou, and he's as talkative and as engaged as guys are. And defensively. You know, he's actually been trying. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, you know, he obviously has his defensive flaws, but Lou Williams is giving effort on the floor. So, and I'm sure he's hearing his name out there at times of whispers wondering, you know, how long is he going to be with the team? Um, but no, he's as, he's as vocal as engaged. But you're right. I think if we look back at their chemistry issues from a year ago, I think it definitely started with between the old regime and the new regime. The old guys had, Basically, and I don't mean old, but the guys from the season before had made the playoffs in their own gritty grind way. And then all of a sudden you bring in two stars in and they're not playing right away because they're hurt and they're being eased into the season. And then you see guys not having to, you know, practice or play every game. They have to play every game. I, I, I think all those things, that dynamic played into it. I think now, though, now that we're into year two, the one thing I hear a lot and I was asking a lot of guys about 
talking on the sidelines and talking things out. And how did this form from a year ago? Was that really there? And a lot of guys were saying, no, it's just a, it's a product of us year two being together, feeling more comfortable, and also Ty emboldening them that a lot of well and giving them a lot of leeway. It's so fascinating because I think they realize as an organization from the top to the bottom, they need they needed to change things to change them. But part of the benefit of changing things is it allows them to do the mental rationalization of last year was different. We changed the coach. We changed the roster. We changed a couple of other things. So we can leave last year in the rear view and just say there's nothing that happened last year that is endemic to the fabric of our current team because so many fundamental things about our current team have changed. In, in a way, I think that's almost intentionally built into the changes they made is because I, I think they realize how potentially scarring that Denver series was and they need to give almost like a coping mechanism to some of the, the players and coaches involved. Uh, I would say that, yeah, that a lot of that is correct. Um, you know, listen, there's Doc Rivers is a great coach uh, and he's a leader of men. And as I, I think when I think about, you know, the approach that I was saying about how Ty doesn't over talk things. I remember when Jason Kidd took over in Brooklyn, first time head coach. And I remember thinking, saying like, uh, you know, Kidd doesn't look like he's talking very much in, in the huddles to the guys. And I was asking somebody about it. They were just like, you know, he's a veteran guy, a former veteran player. He's got a veteran team around him. Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, these guys, they don't need to hear a lot of the coach talking to them. They just need three points to get across to them of what they have to do. And that's it. They don't need a coach to over talk in the ear because they've heard it all and they know what to do. And I kind of feel that's a, the approach a little bit here with Ty and these guys that he just gives them what they need to hear and he lets the guys figure it out. And I think like that's part of what maybe scarred the team from last year. I think there's a difference of, of the two coaching approaches. Doc obviously was a very dominant voice. He was the one voice that you would hear dictating everything with the Clippers. He always delivered the message for them. I think now Ty is emboldening, emboldening this team a little bit more, letting them kind of have a say and figuring things out for now. Um, and I think that's what they are very much trying to do. But yeah, until they are able to figure things out in the playoffs and prove to us that they can get past that second round, they know as well as anybody that they can't really say anything until they prove it to everybody else. And credit Paul George. He told us what he was going to do, and so far he's doing it. Um, and he's been good, aggressive Paul George. It hasn't really shown up in like an increase in free throw attempts. It has shown up in an increase in assists. But just when I watch him, I did a big deep dive on PG before the season, when he got the extension, um, mm -hmm. about sort of his career arc and why he's such an interesting and sometimes maddening player. And as I went back and I watched a lot of his biggest games and old games, you can tell the difference between A, Paul George, and B, Paul George. And A, Paul George just is a little more slithery, a little more decisive. Mm. Decisive is the word I would use. And that's the guy we've seen this year. B, Paul George is a little more timid, a little more prone to settling for a long two when there's something there. A little less decisive when he catches the ball and there's, a, there's an alley and it's going to close real fast and you got to go right away. He passes up on those. This year we've seen A... Paul George. I mean, the point guard thing is like, Pat Bev's pretty good. Lou Will's pretty good. Uh, Reggie, I could take or leave, but he's he's shot it well for them last yeah. year. He served his purpose, and he's done so again this year for the most part. It served his role. 
I just don't know who with with what they can trade, given that Sam Presti owns a timeshare in the Clippers front office at this point. I just don't know. I mean, it's easy to say the Clippers in a point guard. I just don't know who are they getting that's better than those guys. So they don't have the ammo to get Kyle Lowry unless something like completely bonkers happens. I mean, I, I think they they looked at Ricky Rubio a little bit in the offseason. He's been not good and in Minnesota, sometimes alarmingly not good. And we know what's going to happen. He's not going to play crunch time because everyone's going to go under every pick. And then you're very quickly like DeLon Wright. Like you start getting to these names and it's like, like if I were them, I would I would be trying to get someone like Aaron Holiday from the Pacers, but I don't think they have the the, the ammo to get Aaron Holiday from from the Pacers. Like I just don't. Is there a name I'm missing? Who who should we be talking about? Uh, good question. I mean, I almost think they are better Jeff off. Jeff Teague. I mean, like, there's nobody. No, no. I almost think they're better off just waiting for the buyout market and see what comes about and who's out there that they can add in there uh, at this point without a major disruption to the team. Because in order to get a good point guard that they would need to get, who's not making a ton of money, they would have to give up like Lou Williams, Zubats, uh, Pat Beverly. That was, those Zubats, are Zubats is good, and they really value they Zubats. They need him. They, need they another really big. value him. They need another big, because right now it's Serge, Zoo, and then they go to Marcus. So they would probably need another big. Um, and I guess they, are, they feel – that their point guard position is going to be filled by all the guys you just said, Kawhi and PG playmaking, and to a certain degree, Nick Batum as well. And the thing about PG that you said is so accurate. Um, last year, there was a time where I felt like every time PG drove and he got into paint and he was trying to pass, that ball would become a turnover because it was almost like he was uncertain what to do as soon as he got into paint. The other night against Brooklyn, there was a move he made where he got inside, and then he did that little slithery, almost fadeaway move to the side and scored over, over on top of somebody that was was pretty big. And I remember thinking, wow, that PG is so good. And I think when he is decisive and he's not thinking in his head that I have to make a play for somebody, and even in that game, he made two great plays where he found Zubats inside. He saw the defense, knew what was coming. Um, the other difference this year with Paul George is I feel like when things aren't going well for him, he doesn't back down and kind of fade away. Um, there was a game at Utah earlier this year where he just shot. He wasn't shooting the ball well at all. It was actually an aberration for him this season. But he was playing defensively. He was coming up with steals. He was coming up with big stops. And I, as somebody told me, I think Paul George last year, if he had had that bad shooting game, he might have disappeared for the rest of the game. But this season, he has stayed engaged in uh, almost every level. Yeah. He's been he's been great, and he's always going to be turnover prone. That's just sort of like he his handle is not as tight as some of the sort of superstar peers in the league. He takes some risks with the with the ball that don't go well, but that he has been he has been sort of what they need him to be. I I don't know I don't know what the what point guard solution is is sitting out there for them. You're right. The buyout the buyout thing will be will be interesting. There was another name I wanted to bring up, and now I'm forgetting it. But it you know to me. I mean, they're, they're just really good. I mean, everything about them screams championship contender. The mm-hmm. only thing that doesn't is what happened last season. I mean, everything else is looking pretty good. I mean, they seem they seem confident. They're playing well. They just that Utah game was sort of a show me game, and they showed up. That was a fun game. You know, I I think when you <laughs> I don't know why this crossed my mind. I used to do a dating advice column when I was at the New York Daily News, where I would ask athletes to give advice to just normal Joes that would send me in questions, and 
for some reason, when you were just talking, it just hit my mind about that. And I was thinking like, man, people must think the Clippers are like that guy or that girl who is just damaged goods. You know what I mean? Like from the year before, you cannot get over their past. Uh, and until they do get over that past, you're just not going to believe in them. You know what I mean? You see all the numbers on the floor. You watch them every night. You see how they're playing. But until they are able to kind of prove it to you, you just feel like they got that damaged past. Well, I will say, and this has been evident from, from day one that Kawhi and PG were there. I, one thing they have going for them is they're legitimately not afraid of LeBron. Now, will that change if they're down 2-0 and LeBron puts up 40 and 4? I don't know. But, like, those guys are not scared. of LeBron wins a lot of games when he's not wins a lot of games. You know, people are intimidated by him. Teams are intimidated by him. They are not. And they've they've seemed to have relished that matchup almost from the very first game they played and and been okay with it. And, and still, look, they're going to have to get through Utah and Phoenix and some of these other teams. But that's still the hurdle. That Denver, we'll see if Denver gets it together, their kryptonite from last year. That's still going to be the hurdle for them, and they're not afraid of it. And uh, to answer your question, the Utah game was great the other night. That would be a great seven-game series. Um, you know what's funny this year about the Clippers, and this might be a good thing for them? Nobody really talks about Clippers-Lakers anymore. Last year, that's all anybody wanted to talk about. And I think they loved it. I think they did thrive and relish on it. But this season, the spotlight is not as bright on them. And I think that's a good thing for them because it's just allowing them to kind of just work on their own things, try to improve, and kind of fly a little bit under the radar. Don't you feel the Clippers are flying a little bit under the radar, which is weird? I right? think bo- I think both LA teams are. Frank. It's only now that AD is hurt and the Lakers are losing that there's a lot of national a- Lakers coverage. I-, I think a lot of the focus has been Brooklyn, 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 Harden, 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 Philly, Embiid, uh, the Knicks being good. Like I just I think both LA teams are just sort of. You know, not cruising, but it's just there just hasn't been. What was the what was the what was the best or worst uh, athlete dating advice from dating advice from the athletes that you got? <laughs> uh, well, first of all, all you needed to know that Richard Jefferson was one of my main contributors to that. So, <laughs> oh boy. Uh, but yeah, I used to go to like guys in the NFL. It was like Jonathan Vilma. Um, I think I went to like you know Lavernius Coles Jets. Um, different guys, but. Richard Jefferson, definitely. I, I don't. I probably blocked it out of my mind, but I am one hundred percent sure RJ gave me some pretty bad advice. <laughs> I, I for sure believe that. All right. Um. Uh. Who do the Clippers? I haven't even looked at their schedule. What do you got coming? The Clippers play uh, somebody tonight, don't Wizards. they? Wizards tonight. The yeah. scorching Washington Wizards. Unfortunately, um, they're going to do back to back, which is going to be tough for them. Uh, but yeah. Man, I mean, look, that's a another. I mean. Those two guys, it's one thing you say, okay, they're playing as good as any duo, but I, we just saw Kyrie Irving and James Harden. The Clippers get Kyrie Irving, James Harden. Now they get Bradley Beal, West, Russell Westbrook, which I got to say, kudos to Scott Brooks. Um, that team had gone through so much. I mean, just like a month ago, Scotty Brooks was driving out of the out of every day. This is how he would see his team for a nine-day stretch. He would basically wave to them out of the glass of his car, the front seat of his car, as he was going to get COVID testing. And that was the only time he saw his team for nine days to now they've won five in a row. Credit Scotty Brooks. Yeah, you know, Scotty Brooks took a lot of heat. Look, I think Scott's done an okay job. But like I, like a month or three weeks ago, the Wizards were whatever, 29th in defense. They're still bad at defense. And he was juggling all these rotations. And everyone, you know, was questioning, Scotty, why isn't he playing this guy? And I was talking to someone on, on the phone at that time. I was like, boy, I didn't anticipate like Isak Banga <laughs> becoming like, 
the savior of the Wizards season on Wizards Twitter, like the outrage over why is Scotty Brooks not playing Isak Bonga? I'm like, Isak Bonga? Like if you're if you've reached this point as a fan where you're fixated on Isak Bonga's minutes as the solution to everything ailing the Wizards, you've you have you've got to make some better life choices. And sure enough. They aren't playing Isak Banga, and there are now he's made like I think Mo Wagner has done okay, and Garrison Matthews spaces the floor. It's, really, they just need Russ to not be awful, and like they have a fa- fighting chance. I mean, listen, I'm from the DC area, but Wizards Twitter has even like basically got me laughing. Did you see when they re- there was a there's a portion of people that really want Scott Brooks fired, right? Did you see some of the memes that were going out there that they they were they were photoshopping Scott Brooks's face? with guys at the insurrection to basically be like, see, maybe they'll just like fire him off of that. Now Scott Brooks is there, you know, I mean, obviously it's all joking, but I was just just like, golly, I I honestly thought, well, we're getting deep here. (laughs) I thought the pandemic would make humans more empathetic and nicer to each other. And I think the opposite has actually happened. Maybe it's because everyone's home and everyone's just mm-hmm. online all the time. And when people are online, they feel that they can be mean and there's no repercussions. I just thought everyone would just sort of take a deep breath and and say to themselves, you know what? The plague is here. Half a million people are dead. I don't really have to take the mental energy to call this um, this person I don't know nasty names online and call for them to be fired. Nope. It's, I think it's actually worse. I think there's uh, it could go ha- go both ways. I think there definitely is a portion of the population, like you said, is going to be kinder when they get out and happier to be seeing people again and be interacting. And then I think there's other people who uh, have been trapped in their apartments and you know I think are up in their feelings and it's all understandable and probably are online doing the things that we say. Like I think a long time ago somebody said, don't look at the comments underneath your stories and things like that because it's almost like the new uh, rest stop toilets of America on the walls where you go in and people are just writing whatever they want on those things. And he's like, that's basically what online has become a lot now, you know? All right. Um, well, on that note, uh, <laughs> to keep an eye on the Clippers. You can read all of Ohm's stuff at ESPN. You'll see him on the Hoop Collective podcast. You'll see him on TV. Ohm, Young Masuk, thank you very much for your time, buddy. Next time I'm going to come on, I'll get some RJ dating advice for the pod. Got to bring it. Thanks, bud. <laughs> See it. Our Difference Maker of the Week is brought to you, as always, by our friends at CarMax. Don't just buy a car. Love your car with the new CarMax Love Your Car Guarantee. This week's Difference Maker is Rudy Gobert in the Utah Jazz defense. The Jazz have won 20 of 22 as we record this podcast with 18 of those wins coming by double digits. That is absolutely ridiculous and borderline unprecedented. And most of the attention is going to Utah's offense, which is beautiful to watch. They take a million threes, the ball ping, 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 pings all around. But don't sleep on their defense. They're number two now in points allowed per possession behind only the Lakers. And all the attention goes to Gobert as it should. He's the best rim protector in the NBA. He's the keystone to everything they do on defense. But everyone around him, they may not be great individual defenders, but together they are turning into an elite defensive team because they're just in sync. They play on a string. One guy helps in this direction. Another guy covers for him. The third guy covers for that guy. And then, bam, they snap back to their original assignments. No one messes up. No one hesitates. There are no miscommunications. They are just playing with the same 
fluidity and synchronicity that they play with on offense. It translates to their defense and they're showing, yeah, we may not have great individual defenders other than Gobert, but we can make it happen as a team. So that's this week's Difference Maker, the Utah Jazz defense. Again, thanks to our friends at CarMax. For more Difference Makers, check out my weekly 10 Things column on the ESPN Insider page. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.